I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Well, a beautiful afternoon for a good game of football now, and it looks as though we have the makings of it. Barnes has come in. Hello and welcome to the Watford Buzz podcast and a very happy new year to all of our fantastic listeners. My name is Matt Messiano and we've not made any new signings yet so I'm still delighted to be joined by Jordan Weimer and Tom Bodell. Although it is January, fingers crossed for a new striker. Anyway, let's talk about the uh, the Plymouth game to begin with and my goodness, what a game, what a game. An exciting one for the neutral, probably not that great for a Watford fan, your heart I'm sure was racing. In the end, just a point could have been more could have been nothing so I suppose delighted to get something from that but what was your uh, thoughts from it guys and by the way happy new year to both of you as well happy new year happy Tom new year to, yeah it was it was the championship is a strange lady isn't it that was a that was a tough tough game to be a part of um, as a fan for sure um it felt like a incre- it felt as a, as a spectator an incredibly long game as well there's so much going on it just felt like it went on forever mm. um Terrible, terrible conditions, but uh, of course, for a neutral, very entertaining. Lots going on, and uh, yeah, lots to discuss. Yeah, one time where you're pleased you're not a player for a change. Mm. I'd love to have played in that. The way who and Livermore and what have you were throwing themselves around looked like great fun. Probably a lot warmer than being in the stand as well. So, no, it was it was, it was manic. It was if if you had to kind of advertise the championship in a way, I think you'd advertise you'd use a lot from that game. The the kind of end to end nature, bit of quality, bit of lack of quality at times, errors, some stunning goals. Um, it was just, yeah, it was just frantic when it 49 shots in the match, which I regularly complain that people don't shoot in football anymore, but you couldn't accuse Plymouth or Watford of not shooting on uh, on Sunday, on Monday. No, not yeah, at all. Just before um, we started recording, I was saying to Matt before you joined in as well, Tom, that yeah, Plymouth had 30 shots, which is just, you know, sorry, trains in there already. Um, <laughs> that's something that you just you don't get too much against us. You know, we, we do concede shots, obviously, but 30 is a, a tremendous amount. And even just kind of looking back at some of the some of the games before, um, especially Plymouth's home games, they, they're not a team that kind of picks up many clean sheets or doesn't score very often at home. You know, they are, they are a team like to score and there are a lot of shootouts that go on there. So it was, uh, it was, it wasn't unexpected, but it really was uh, it, w- it was chaotic and I think that those conditions did help kind of lend it towards that as well um, both teams were very direct and it was it was it was definitely an interesting uh, interesting matchup and I thought a, a good test for us yeah um, out of the game three changes Ryan Andrews Edo Kiembe and Mileta Rajevic in for Tom Delibashiro Yasser Spria and Vakun Beyo who of course was a forced change because of his sending off did we even talk about the sending? Why do I feel like I didn't talk about the sending off? Am I imagining that? Because we haven't. Because we haven't. Cause we haven't Bristol, had... Uh, sorry, not Bristol oh. City. It was Stoke, wasn't it? The Stoke game, probably one of the worst displays of refereeing I've ever seen. Um, I do believe that referee actually got the sending off correct, though. Uh, I think it was very poor behaviour from Bayo to lash out when he didn't need to. However, the whole rest of the game was 
pretty poorly refed in my opinion. What do you guys think about the whole situation? Yeah, one of the one of the worst refereeing performances for sure. Um yeah, I mean that kind of really it kind of overshadowed the whole game, didn't it? I think that's that it was such a, a point that kept we kept going back to in terms of the the performance and the result. The referee played a big part in the game. You don't you never really like to see them playing that that heavy of a part, but they they really did in that one, and it was it was unfortunate. Um, I think I agree. The sending off was not. I mean, you gave you gave the referee a decision to make as the classic thing. You know, it was it was one where. Unfortunately, he could justify it, and and he was gone, and it was it was a shame because it's not really nothing, something I associate with with vacuum bio, but you know, he made the mistake, and and that was that. But what I, I do think came across there was a real um, a real level of commitment from the players. I think it, we learned something a little bit about that squad. Um, I think in recent years we could have definitely seen a little bit more of a capitulation in in that situation, and uh, it definitely came across as well from from where I was watching the the, the crowd got behind the team, and it, it seemed to maybe be. I think I think hopefully we kind of felt like it was going to be some of a galvanising kind of moment for the team for the rest of the season. Obviously, I think that the performance is still good in, against Plymouth in, in a lot of ways we'll get to, but um, it, it was a, a tough, again, a tough fixture. And especially, I think, with the two games so close together, it was kind of compounded even more. But yeah, what about you, Tom? What are you thinking? Yeah, I mean, the, the red card is, as you say, it gives them a decision to make, right? You don't want to see those ones given. You, you kind of feel like... In a, in a moral sense, it seems a bit un, unjust. You know, it doesn't happen if he's not wound up by the, the Stoke player in the first place. Um, I think I, I'm going to repurpose someone's thought that I saw here on Twitter because I noticed it myself as well on the highlights. You could tell it was going to be a long afternoon when the referee got, or a long evening when the referee tried to do the handshakes in the wrong place came out the tunnel and tried to do it on the side in front of the dugouts rather than in front of the lower Grand Taylor, which is where it should be or where it is. And then as a kind of laugh and a giggle, it looks like he's having the, the time of his life with Wesley Who thereafter and just saying, oh, bloody hell. So the performance from him thereafter was not good. Um, but I think, and we've said it so many times this season, haven't we? Last season we'd have lost that, and I think that game is a prime. That game was a prime example of that. Without going kind of too in into too much detail on it, we were resilient. We fought hard. They fought for each other. They threw bodies in the way, and, and so on. Did all the kind of things you wouldn't have associated with recent Watford teams. So I think, in an odd sense, it's a sign of progress. And, and a game I'd like it to quite a few years ago. I don't know if other you guys remember this was Leicester at home on a Tuesday night. I think it's about 2008, maybe 2009. And Lloyd Doyley got sent off when it should have been Mariapa or vice versa. I can't remember because the referee cocked it up. But there was such a sense of injustice from the whole thing. The fans really got behind it and they really kind of ground out the... I think that was a tool draw possibly, but they really kind of ground out the point. And I think it was like that in a sense. So, yeah, a, a, one where you kind of gain a, a moral victory, if not an, an actual victory. Mm. I was at the Stoke game, Jordan, and I felt like it was a really disappointing three points dropped, to be honest, or I suppose two in this sense, because we, we did get the point. But mm. we were on top of them for the whole game and then descending off kind of changed it a bit. But even then, we were still looking the stronger of the two teams. And, mm-hmm. you know, that Stokes side was just crying out to be beaten, but we, uh, we, yeah. we didn't manage it, unfortunately. And it's games like that, that if you actually have any real, you know, desire to to go up then you know you have to put those games to bed so you know we're not it kind of sums up where we are at the minute as a team we're not quite good enough to really be even thinking about promotion or anything like that I still believe we might be able to sneak into the playoffs but it would be based on a a, a good a good run to the end of the season which uh, I don't know we, we, we might be able to stream together but games like this sometimes pop up and you're like oh needed those did those points yeah no I completely agree you know it's one of those ones where unfortunately the, the it is a game you want to be winning the, the sending off kind of makes it feel a little bit more justifiable that we didn't kind of pick up three points there but you know at the end of the day it's still the, the points on the table aren't there and it, it is frustrating but you know I think we we at least took some of that energy into Plymouth and uh, you know I think that was it was it was interesting to see there's obviously some changes we'll talk about the lineup but um we, we did try to carry on at least some of that fighting spirit. And, you know, we've become somewhat of a comeback team now, haven't we? So it, it seems like we're always in a fight to, to salvage something or to gain something. But we, uh, yeah, continued that onto Plymouth. And uh, one of the changes with Ryan Andrews, he was a standout performer, wasn't he, against Plymouth? Um, really important. And just coming on leaps and bounds every game, it's almost we can see him developing in front of our eyes. 
Yeah, I thought he was fantastic. Probably one of his best, if not his best performance um, going forward, certainly. It kind of says everything when it wasn't a surprise that he scored, to be quite honest, because obviously there was the chance early on, fairly early on, where he slipped in behind. I think it was Kone, wasn't it? It slipped a really good ball in behind... Um, and he was sort of through-ish and he did the unselfish thing which 9 times out of 10 he'd applaud and tried to square it for Ryevich who either didn't connect or the defender got on something on the end of it and he thought oh bloody hell that was such a good chance he could probably have shot himself there and then after that he had two shots in about 30 seconds he thought yeah he's, he's learnt from his mistake <laughs> yeah yeah um, and then he takes the goal so well for a right back there. You know, the the ball from Livermore's not even meant to reach him, I don't think, is it? I think it was intended for Ryevich, who kind of gets wrestled out of the equation. Um, and, and Andrew's, you know, little touch and to control it and then and then lobbed it over Connor Hazard. So it was, it was a really well-taken goal. But I thought he was generally really good and got in behind Ballymumba and, um, you know, kind of got at Lewis Gibson and, and Dan Scar quite a bit there. Um, he, to me, I thought during the game, looks like he's really kind of bulked up a bit filled out a bit you know he doesn't look anything like as lightweight as he did at the start of the year which you know is quite often the giveaway with with these young players so I think you know he's the trajectory he's on with us is is testament to to all involved um you know from the academy up to the first team kind of coaching staff and hopefully it's not he's not the uh, he's not the last one to to come out of that group because it's been a while since we've had one of one of our own, a true one of our own to cheer on so yeah no he was he was excellent mm. I saw a good tweet the other day that was asking who has the highest ceiling uh, of any Watford player currently and uh, he got quite a few votes, I think. I don't know if he won, actually. I think it was uh, Aspria that won the won the, won the vote there, mm. but uh, certainly one that could generate a lot of money for Watford if, uh, if he was to unfortunately be sold at some point. Yeah, I think it, one of the most enjoyable things in football for me is watching watching a player learn on the pitch. And I think that, that, that moment you talked about there, Tom, where he kind of, he doesn't take the shot and he put, I think it felt to me like he was he did he kind of shied away from taking the shot more than anything like he didn't quite fancy himself to take it and just kind of obviously went for the unselfish option but I'm not sure if you saw straight after that I think it was actually Martins was kind of kind of hammering, a little, hammering him a little bit for not taking the opportunity and as you say he kind of had that that spell of two or three shots straight after and you know I think that that, that goal then coming just a little bit later on really just kind of it's, it solidifies that in the mind and you, you kind of feel that's a that's that's kind of a game-changing moment for Ryan Andrews there. You know that's a new... You kind of watch him develop a different um, different element of his game and it's really good to see because I think, he, as, as you said, he was good all over the pitch. You know, defensively, he was solid, but his ability to get forward, he's a good athlete, he moves really well, covers the ground well. He, he does... He does things quite quite simply defensively. He's not really out of position too often. He's, he's decent in the challenge, but it's his ability to get forward and offer support, whether he's used or not. He's just always in the in the right area, and it's it's really useful. And I think as you start to see him refine some of that decision making. Um, refine some of the kind of technical skill and, and execution. You, you could have a really good player there. So one that you look at, and you know you're, you're quite pleased that he just signed a five-year deal. And you know for me, kind of one of the highlights of, of Wilder's spell was uh, was bringing him into the team. So really pleased for him. Um, good good to see. Mm. Um, on the other flank. Uh, was James Morris. Now, I was listening to the pod that you do did the other day. Great work, by the way. Really enjoyed that. You were both speculating as to who would come in to replace uh, Jamal Lewis, who is unfortunately injured. And you both went for Ken Semmer, uh, but not mm. James Morris, who did come in for Stoke, had a pretty reasonable game against Stoke and followed that up with another reasonable game. Uh, against Plymouth um, a decent showing from a guy who's been out in the cold for some time yeah we were wrong on that one weren't we S- Sem is injured though isn't he that's that's also another aspect to consider uh, of course yes um, not to try and ca- not to try and caveat our, our, our wrongness on this one but <laughs> replacing wrongness with another wrongness yes exactly but yeah what, what was what was your thoughts Tom were we misguided there yeah so uh, James Morris I don't know if I necessarily agree with you, Matt. I don't think he was. I thought he was better against Stoke, right? I don't think he's done badly in these two games at all. I thought he was very good against Stoke, particularly when you consider he hadn't played at all, had he? Since and this is going to make no sense. He hadn't played at all since he last played. Obviously, that's how that sentence works. What I mean, <laughs> he is, wasn't even making the bench either. Actually, that's it. He wasn't even making the bench. And Valerian Ishmael made a good point this week. I think it was on the Watford Observer website. I read it that. You know, he's a little bit unlucky because other players can fill in for him. So 
it's almost a waste of having a specialist left back on the bench because that's the only role he can play. Whereas, as we mentioned, Semmer can play there, Hoot can play there, and uh, Ismail mentioned Jamal Lewis. So even with nine subs, you know, he's not getting named as a sub because there are other ways of doing it if um, if Lewis was going to come off. So he's been unfortunate in that respect. And he, he came in against Stoke and I think probably exceeded all expectations. And I think I'm right in saying that is the first or one of the very few times this season where he's done 90 minutes. He's been subbed off quite often, hasn't he? And certainly at the start of the season, Ismail was kind of taking both fullbacks off at, at various points as well and changing that up. So I thought it was good. I do think it's bad against Plymouth by any means. I think he could probably have done better on a couple of occasions. Um, one of the goals he could probably have done better on, if I recall correctly. Yeah, was it, was but, it a third goal? Driving down the right. He yeah, I think it was. Took a little looked, bit too much yeah, time to get any pressure on. And... That's it, yeah, exactly. But I suspect he's probably not a first-choice player for Watford in another era, i.e. more recent times where we've we've had a bit more money to spend. But I think he's a perfectly serviceable understudy if you also say, well, Ngakia could play on the left, um, Semmer can drop back, Hoot could shuffle over if absolute needs be. You know, he's... he's a bit of a utility kind of option, even though I've just said he doesn't play anywhere else. Yeah, no, I, I mean, a little bit harsh, but I think you're right there, Tom. Um, I think the I think the main point really is that coming from having not played for such a, a long time, he didn't do badly, but also not not enough really to grab the shirt back off Lewis when he's fit again. Put it this way, I've just pulled up his stats. In the meantime, they were loading, typically, while I was waffling on. He had more successful defensive actions than anyone on the pitch, completing 15 of 18 successfully. He was third for interceptions. He won more defensive duels than anyone else, partially because he attempted more than anyone else. Um, Completed eight ball recoveries. Three of those were in the opposing half. Passing, not too bad. Not necessarily particularly incisive, but he was up there in terms of final third passes and forward passes. You know, if you if you read it purely by the stats, he had a decent game. Obviously, what that doesn't tell you is his part in the goal. And there was another chance. Um, was it Morgan Whitaker who obviously caused us a lot of problems cutting in from that side? Um, sort of got past him and I think Ben Hamer made a decent stop at his near post or someone came across and made a block. Forgive me, I can't quite remember. But yeah, I think he's certainly not without use and I think it's it's I find it strange how divisive he is you get people that are, are really high on him and people are really down on him and I think the truth and maybe this doesn't make a very good soundbite or a very good tweet is that he's probably somewhere in the middle most of the time mm. yeah I think that moment you talked about there it was, it was uh, Plymouth's second goal he kind of as Whitaker's come in he's kind of jockeying dropping back dropping back and it's actually him the ball mm. comes off on the block um, but it's actually you know, this, right. this is the problem we had this is the problem we had with Lewis as well against uh, against Ipswich too it, it's allowing conceding too much space in the box and it's just a little bit of naivety defensively you know I think he he doesn't do great in that position and it, it allows Whitaker to, to kind of drift into that box and get a get a better option and you know he gets a bit lucky with the deflection where it lands and so on but it's not it's not great defending I think you know with Morris I think I think the best part of his game is his left foot I think we really got to see that in the early parts of the season where he was played in that inverted position at left back and he was able to drift into the midfield a little bit more and you know I think where he looked really strong is when he was able to almost play in that central midfield position and move the ball around quite quickly and cleanly um, he looks quite good but he's not He's not particularly dynamic athletically, which I think at fullback, you know, especially when you're playing against a winger like Whitaker, you need to have that that mobility and that that kind of burst. He he lacks that. He can, you know, he can get up to a decent speed, but he's not got that acceleration over short distances, which I think is really a requirement at this level for for fullback play. And it's something that we obviously have in the likes of uh, mm. in the likes of Andrews and you know a, a little bit more also in Lewis, which I think is kind of one of the bigger differences between the two players he's not terrible he's not bad he's going to hurt you sometimes but he's going to get you through games as well um i do still think though had ken semmer been available i think he would have been the favorite choice so it it's an interesting it's a, it's a difficult situation i think the point that that ismail raises as well is also a good one you know he's he's happens to be in a position where others can play and it's going to not give him the optimum chance to get in the team and kind of break in and get the gameplay he pro- the game time he probably wants but yeah i i, I thought he was okay against Plymouth, it was highs and lows. I think Stoke was better. Um, but, you know, having said that, I also think that 
every player on that pitch. There's quite a few shouts for the match in this game in general, but I think none of them really were consistently, you know, 10 out of 10 the whole game. There was lots of ups and downs just, just by the nature of the kind of game it was. So I'm not going to be too harsh on him for that. Um, but I, I think it was kind of what I'd expect from Morris in, in a lot of ways for that one. There was a direct question relating to Morris. Tom, shall we go into that? Yes, yes, go away. Yeah, okay. Go away, go for it. Well, this one came from Uncle Ron, who says, uh, why are we playing Let's Pretend, R.E. James Morris? He's 22, so hardly a kid, and he severely lacks pace that cannot be taught. He was clearly targeted by Plymouth. Um, it's a fair point. And you've, you've kind of gone somewhere to, uh, to explain a bit of that there, Jordan. So I suppose... The, the angle that Uncle Ron's coming from is, and perhaps I was guilty of it earlier, um, why are we giving him a fanfare for stepping in when uh, he probably doesn't have what it takes to cut it at this level on a consistent basis? I'll jump in. Go on then. Uh, yeah, I think there are a few reasons. I think, first and foremost, there's an element of where he's come from and his story. You know, he left Southampton wasn't it um, and, and we picked him up as a whatever he was at that time must have been about 19 or 20 and I think you know there's a bit of a kind of redemption arc story there a little bit of a Jay Demerit almost in you know he's kind of come from nowhere and been given a chance and also think for so long and I mentioned I touched on this earlier with Ryan Andrews we've been so starved of homegrown players that he's been kind of adopted as a homegrown player even though he's you know born in Portsmouth I think it was and, and spent his um, youth at Southampton career with Southampton and then came to us as an under 23 and it's kind of come in and as I said a minute ago by circumstance he's been given opportunities that he probably wouldn't have got in a more in an era of where we've got more money I think there are a few kind of caveats here to point out only 13 league starts in his career which I think makes his age almost irrelevant that's absolutely nothing he's older than Ryan Andrews but that's fewer league starts than Ryan Andrews he's never had that loan spell you know in the old days we used to obviously send them on loan to a wheelstone and you know really blood them there I think in people like Britta Belonga obviously went there did really well stepped up stepped up from there uh, Connor Smith was another one maybe didn't work out for him here but had a good football league career off the back of it as well um so I, I think you almost have to dis, disregard his his age in in a sense because he's not got that many minutes in him I think he's improved since last season for me and as I say, I, I don't, I don't think his perhaps ceiling is particularly high, but I think he's a perfectly serviceable um, deputy for us. I doubt he's on very much. He counts as a homegrown player, which we obviously need from kind of a squad, a composition point of view. And I think the other point that, that Rupert makes there is about kind of targeting him. But uh, you know, that's how you win get win football matches. We would have gone to Plymouth and targeted people. It felt certainly felt like we were targeting that gap in behind Bali Mumba because he gets forward at every opportunity and sent all of our kind of or a lot of our kind of attacking play down that right hand side. That's you know that is just how you win and lose football matches. Obviously the ideal world you have 11 players that are um, that, that never make a mistake and are kind of uh, is strong in every moment in every situation but it just doesn't work like that so yeah of course they're going to target him I think the thing that he probably needs to work on I mentioned it with Andrews again a minute ago and I think they're quite an interesting comparison especially as they play you know notionally the same position but different sort of same role different sides is the physicality he he probably does need to work on kind of bulking up but as we know you've got to do that and, and Jordan probably can speak to this more more with a more informed perspective than I can but you can't just you can't just hit the gym like a, a lunatic you know you've got to do it in the right ways in the right parts of the body and, and, and so on and so forth because we've seen what happens with English players in, in, in recent years when they kind of hit the gym really hard and, and there's a, a negative um, impact on other parts of their game so I think as I said before he's a, he's a pretty serviceable back up that we wouldn't necessarily use in a period where we had more money and more flexibility within the squad but he I don't think he's letting anyone down put it that way and the reason why he's getting a fanfare is because people like a success story as well exactly it's a nice story and most of the time he's doing well enough to get by um yeah and that's that's nice it's nice to see we all like an underdog story it's kind of a, it feels a little bit it has like an element of 
kind of an American football reference here, but just that guy is on the practice squad that just kind of by chance gets into the yeah. into the starting lineup and he's taking a lot of snaps and he's he's he even just keeping his head above water is a success story in itself. And I think that's kind of where it kind of goes with with Morris too. I don't think many feel that he's a necessarily a potential starter for us. Who knows? But I mean, I, I think he does lack some. Some traits that we would need to see in a, in a starting fullback at this level, um, which maybe you know he maybe can work on, maybe not. I think obviously the ages. I think oftentimes people maybe uh, who aren't as formed don't realise he's twenty two. Probably a few of them, quite a few people think he's probably the same age as uh, as Andrews. And I know what you're saying. It's not in terms of games played. He's a, he's a young player for sure. Um, but you know, I think in terms of targeting, that they, you're up against. He's playing on the side of their best player, and well, one of the most effective players in in Whitaker There, it's going to be a difficult game for him. And you know, oftentimes the he's, he is essentially he's a backup player too, so he's going to be weaker than, than those around him most likely. So that's you know got to be considered. I don't think the fanfare on Morris is as high as it was a few months ago. Um, I think people have probably started to realise just through his selection or lack of that he's he's not really considered by the coach to be um, really pushing as hard as perhaps other players are in, in, in different areas of the pitch to their kind of comp- competition in, in the same position in terms of uh, in terms of the physicality I don't probably I don't, probably don't want to go too too deep into it but I don't want to bore anyone with it but um, you know in terms of his, his his power his size and so on I think the full, fullback's a difficult one because most important he, he can get stronger for sure he can he can you know he can gain muscle mass he can gain power he can gain strength it would help with his speed too like if he if he got himself stronger if he kind of got more explosive he's going to he's going to help with that speed um, in those wide positions the, the difficulty is for a fullback as well is you, you have to kind of it's, it's, a, it's a fine balance because of the amount of endurance you're going to have to go through in the game the amount of expenditure that you'll you'll be kind of exposed to um, over the course of a season it's not going to be overly beneficial to, to carry an, like a large amount of extra muscle mass in, in terms of just depleting those oxygen stores throughout the game it's not ideal but I, I think you look in a lot of fullbacks they often are going to be more um genetically gifted when it comes to their composition someone like Ryan Andrews he's not not a massively stocky guy or anything but he has just a um, he has a more natural sense of athleticism to him and I think Morris is just kind of really is genetically not baseline overly gifted which is not a criticism of him it's just the reality of genetics and, and luck essentially um, but he, he can still make improvement but I think we're not we're never going to see him as a, as a top tier explosive athlete at, at that position mm. I reckon, though, that his game time he's got with Watford will set him up, hopefully, to get a decent uh, league club uh, next season when he inevitably leaves, you think? He should have a career in football for sure. He's got an opportunity to. I don't think he's. I don't think he's. Ter- I don't think he's non-league. I, I think maybe the, the level that he's playing at is is higher than he, than he maybe should be playing at. But I think if you saw him, I think if you kind of got to see him operate a little bit. A little bit more in a kind of a slightly lower division where he was able to play a more offensive role, a little bit more expansive open role. You probably see that he does have some ability, especially with his left foot, that is perhaps higher than than you would maybe think at this part of uh, of his career. And probably a better crosser than Lewis, I think. Yeah, potentially. Yeah, he's got a decent left foot, and I think he, he uses it quite well. Um, that's a lot of people. A lot of people I spoke to it from Southampton at the time when he left said that that was kind of his, you know, defining feature and something that kind of kept him around um, the academy for so long was his, his ability with that left foot. And yeah, it is, is is he can he can strike the ball quite cleanly. Okay, nice one. Um, another player who uh, was featuring in that game, Edo Kiembe. Um, fantastic performance from him. Another goal for him as well. Sadly, he's about to go off to the African Cup of Nations. Good luck to him, but it's going to leave a hole in that Watford first eleven. Tom, if you'd have said a year ago, what are your wild predictions for 2023? Even in my wildest, drunkest state, I wouldn't have said Ed Okembe is going to become a key player, and we're really going to miss him if he's unavailable for a, a certain for a period of time. And yet here we are, January second, 2024, the highest year on record, and we're facing up to a future for three weeks, perhaps more without Ed Okembe, and you just think, bloody hell. Can't, couldn't make it up, could you? Um, I thought he was really good again. Uh, you know, saw that side of him getting in the box. He had a couple of other, maybe not opportunities to shoot, but, you know, got in the box and linked the play and was generally a threat. He is completely and utterly reborn. And, and you know, it, it's become... It's become the rule rather than the exception as well, hasn't it, over the last... However long it's been, six weeks, eight weeks, whatever it's been, he 
and struck up a really good partnership, I think, with with Livermore and Kone. There's a real understanding there of what they all do, and it's going to be very interesting to see how we kind of cope without him. It's a big opportunity for Imran Loser. You'd assume he's the next cab off the rank now, obviously kind of back on the bench the last couple of games, got a, a decent Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Chunk of time um, off the bench against Plymouth forced by Kayembe coming off injured. Someone on um, Do Not Scratch Your Eyes Twitter Space said that he was kind of take accompanied by the physio so you have to assume it's an injury so yeah I mean I suppose it could all come a a moot point if he's now ruled out of AFCON but um, one way or another we're going to be without him for a little while and I for one am stunned Mm. at how much we're going to miss him big player for us Jordan we uh, we saw a bit of Imran loser in that game against Plymouth he kind of went a little bit unnoticed though He, he didn't get too involved um, is he going to be a well a suitable replacement for Kembe? Yeah, potentially. I think you know. I, I think you'd even have to say that that loses even further down the pecking order, though, because you know Georgie Shakhtarov came in there and also in a, you know operated in a different in a different manner, but he was able to contribute from that central position once Kembe went off and he drifted inside, um, or was it once Kone went off? Either way, once he switched to that number eight position, he was playing in those central positions, he looked much more comfortable than when he started out on the left. And uh, we kind of got to see him in there a little bit more, and like we did against Stoke. And you start to wonder if, if Loser's even kind of behind him in the pecking order now as well. Because I think you're right. I think Loser was didn't have a great amount of time, but he wasn't particularly influential in any capacity, was he? Hmm. He might also go to AFCON though, or has that been announced that he's not? What's the story there? No, he's not in the squad. Wasn't picked. Oh dear. Not picked. I mean, that that sums up how he's playing at the minute, doesn't it? Or not playing for that matter until recently. So yeah, not a huge surprise. Can we afford to uh, allow him to leave in January? Because that was mooted as being something that might happen. But now that Kiembe is off, obviously, can we allow that to take place? Would never surprise me if he was parked on loan at Udinese for the rest of the season in the kind of final throws of the window as an opportunity to get him in the shop window. But I think given the Kembe AFCON call-up, I think it's unlikely that he goes. And, and, and realistically, what's the benefit to Watford um, in, in getting rid of him unless they get a, a good price, which you're not going to get for a player that's done effectively nothing this season. So, yeah, I... I, I I think we'll keep him in-house, uh, even if he leaves at this rate. You, you mentioned Ishmael Kone in your answer there, Jordan, and uh, he's another player that's going from strength to strength. And seemingly, he can only score amazing goals, this lad. <laughs> doesn't doesn't get the, yeah. the, you know, the, the tapping, does he? Only the spectacular. 
Seems to be the case. Yeah, it's it's really good to see. You know, I think um, I'm pleased. He's one that I was lucky to to kind of have a little bit of knowledge on before he joined. And but I was I was I didn't honestly know if he'd be able to kind of reach this level just yet. And honestly, he, he's playing at. He's playing so much more refined than what we even saw in, in in the states as well. You know, he's he's starting to really kind of find that confidence in the right foot. Um, he's not snatching at things. He's just uh, he's he's really just looks composed. Even just the way he's moving across the pitch looks so much smoother than than what we saw before. It's less rushed. There's just the confidence in there to take his time. Um, Decision making's improved. Just interplay in general, and you know, again, a little bit of a shout out to Shaq Vitazzo there in the build up to his goal. But just the the kind of quickness in play, the carry forward, the layoff, and just the, the quick touch back from from Georgie there, and just, just the thought to, to open the body up and and take the shot. There was no doubt about it. So credit to the player, uh, but also credit to the coach for encouraging uh, those number eights to get shots away and get in the box and get involved. You know, without kind of, we we essentially kind of these these number eights operate in like tens at times the way they're getting forward as well. So it's it's really good to see and uh, yeah, he's been he's been benefiting from this opportunity um, massively. Mm. We haven't got to our to our conversation, our weekly conversation about Maleta Ravich yet. Well, let's go straight to him then. I mean, he was the replacement for um, Bio after his sending off, and he was the one player that came in that didn't really hit the highlights. He was kind of, I don't know, just there. He was just there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, kind of, what, what, this this a, just a kind of classic Ravich performance. Is that what we come to expect now, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's what he does, no mostly, goal, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's like, you know, at school when you used to play football and, and you didn't really play offsides and you had someone that just stood there, <laughs> like, waiting for the tap-ins and he would always think that he was the best player because he would come away with three goals and you're like, yeah, maybe you didn't do anything. The goal hanger. Yeah. That's, uh, that's, that's Maleta Ravich. Two things. Firstly, I think some of the players got frustrated with him for the first time. I've noticed um, Livermore and Andrews, I think I'm right in saying. I uh, hope I'm not wrong and apologies if I am. Sort of showed visible signs of frustration after things that he could have done better on. And the second thing I was going to say was you almost kind of don't mind if he's scoring, obviously, but when he's also not committing in the way that others are and you saw so many players throwing their bodies on the line he had two opportunities at Plymouth to do something and put his body on the line and there were, you probably both remember them the one in the first half where the back pass goes in and it kind of gets slowed down by the pitch being so heavy with the rain and it you know it's obviously hard to tell it's even harder to tell when you're watching on a stream hundreds of miles away but it looked to me like he could have got a toe on that and maybe that's a, a, a result of his limitations in terms of pace that another player would have easily got a toe on that you either go around the keeper or get a pen or whatever or get a shot away and then there was another one in the second half where the ball sort of ricochets up quite late on and he doesn't even jump for the header and you just think bloody hell there's a 50-50 there make the keeper's life uncomfortable you know do if you do those things you get forgiven a lot of other ills and you're not helping yourself in, in that respect and I wonder if that's a result of a player that's kind of a little bit devoid of confidence even though his minutes per goal record is is excellent um, the final thing I was just going to say on him was if you forget everything that he didn't do the one thing he did do was lose the ball 10 times which was amongst the worst players on the pitch Morris and Andrews I think both lost the ball more than him but you kind of expect that from your fullbacks in that they you know especially the way Andrews plays getting high up the field getting on the ball in dangerous areas trying to make things happen you know Rivich doesn't do any of that and he's still losing the ball so they're yeah. counting for crosses in that too uh, yes, quite possibly. Yeah, so even it makes it even worse for for Rajovic. I, I think it, it was just one of those. It, it, again, you know, I, I've had a few people kind of say that I'm just trying to dig him out every game, and I think I have talked about him, especially at half time, just kind of pointed out some of the numbers. It's not I've got no personal vendetta against Rajovic. I just think you're, you you know you're, you're allowed to comment when players are, are struggling as well as we do when they're they're doing well, and I think he's just he's just finding it really difficult. Again, you know, 24 touches. Um, he had one shot that was blocked. He 
as I say, lost the ball you know, almost 10 times. I've got nine here, but maybe it's 10. Um, he was poor in the air, wasn't winning anything in the air. He got dominated. Physically, I just don't think, he's just, he, he's not powerful. Um, he's, he's not really causing too many issues. You know, he's he might be snatching, he might be getting chances and, and, and kind of getting some finishes away and getting some dangerous positions at times. But he's, he's a player that's finding space and finding the right space at times, but he's not kind of forcing the centre-back into uncomfortable positions. He's not really great against his man in that capacity either. And as Tom said, you know, there was one, especially that one opportunity, which kind of just didn't, just didn't really kind of take the extra step to drive towards the ball and try and get a shot away, which was, was odd. Maybe kind of misread the time of the ball or the, the, the kind of distance he was actually at. But it was, it was a strange decision to not to not kind of make an attempt, but he didn't. Um, and, you know, I think he just he just looks like he's struggling to me. I, I don't really think there's there's much else you can say on it. And the, the player is kind of what the player is. We, we looked at him before he joined. You know, obviously when the when the link came out and when the kind of signing happened, it was relatively quick. But we went and looked at some of the footage and, you know, even at that level, you could see that he wasn't overly comfortable holding the ball up and bringing others into play he could do it a little bit but it wasn't something he kind of defaulted to and he looked a little bit lost there and I think we're seeing that here you know he's playing against much more he's playing against better centre-backs more more kind of controlled centre-backs that are still physical and able to to track him and you know they're used to playing against a much different type of striker every week and I think Rajovic has given him a bit of an easy game uh, and, and it's kind of showing up on the on the pitch there and actually Watford Data Hub um, posted a, a comparison between Bayo and, and Rajovic the numbers and it's quite funny viewing Actually, it's, it's it's such a stark difference in terms of um, in terms of overall output. It, it does really kind of highlight the, the difference between the two players there. So go and give him a follow as well. We post some post some good stuff, but that one's very eye opening in regards to these two. And just you know, like all data does, it should be backing up the eye. Um, oftentimes it's, it's confirming um, or, di- or kind of disproving but you know oftentimes it's going to be um, kind of giving some some numerical kind of uh, belief to what you're what you're seeing and it's it's very much justified because he's he's not been performing on the pitch and uh, I don't think we can really argue too much about that still keeps getting the nod though yeah I don't know what the, what the Healy issue is because I think Healy came on was more dynamic and more involved you know he was he was he was quicker to get in into that position I think also too in a game like that with the amount of shots that are being taken with the the chaos of the weather conditions with the, the the kind of the amount of shots that are being taken by both teams I think that had a that had Reese Healy all over it you know get him on the pitch he can drive a little bit more of the ball he can help make it awkward for defenders closing down he can capitalize on slips missed passes um, he's not afraid to shoot he's probably he's probably if anything we'll be shooting too much which I wouldn't be against in that situation and yeah why not get him involved you know he, he was already on the pitch he won more he won more aerial duels he was able to to get all you know half as many touches in in a third of the time Time to or less a quarter of the time, and I just don't see why he wouldn't have been called upon a little earlier or, or, or even started there, because I, I you know I watch I watch Rajovic when we're playing, and I think we've kind of allowed I think Ismail's kind of made a few adjustments in terms of he was so he was so rigid with his idea of having the the, the wingers playing inverted, which I'm actually I, I I personally quite enjoyed. I think it was effective for us, but I think once Semmer was occupying that left hand side, it became more of a necessity, um, and then I think that developed into a a way to incorporate Rajevic into our attack was to have the the wingers kind of play on their traditional sides a little bit more. You know, even in this one, we had two players that are comfortable, if not prefer, playing on the opposite flanks. With with Martins come would prefer playing on the left. Uh, Shaq Vatadza could have easily played on the right, cutting into the left foot as well, but. We, we didn't do that you know we, we, we allowed us so we, we, we decided to switch and, and start with Martins on that right hand side and, and chat for on the left I think in an effort to, to try and find some form of delivery to Rajovic because really you're not slipping balls in behind you're just kind of whipping it into the box and hoping he can find space and I, I don't think it worked you watch him play you see every time we get the ball he's not looking to get into his chest to get into the foot, into the foot. he's trying to go, go onto the back shoulder and slip in behind the centre back and, and you know always got his hand up to get a ball into the box but it's just not that effective yeah do you think they'll be uh, adding in that area this month? I think we should really no. be looking there, um, but I don't think we will either. No, no. I think there's a good. Tr- it really depends what happens with Healy. But I saw someone make a good point though, and again, I'm not just trying to pile on Rajovic here. But is is who is, would you feel much worse if Adiemo was starting up front? Do you think Adiemo could be a, a genuine uh, option in the second half of the season? I suppose if you've got Healy on the bench and you're not using Healy, then Adiemo is not getting exactly. the chance, is he? No, but if you want the more, if you want the kind of more physical presence, like slightly bigger bodied, someone that can maybe get you know be involved a little bit more in that capacity. But I think it's a, it's a tough argument to make that for Rajovic too, though, because I don't see the, I don't see any physicality coming from his frame. You know, I don't see him um, utilizing what what physical assets he has. So, yeah. Okay then. Well, um, a game with lots of shots. 
but um, not great defending really from either side. Watford looked very defensively suspect, Tom. What, what, what do you think was the issue there? Yeah, I thought, and, and Jordan tweeted this, but I agreed with him entirely, that just a complete and utter lack of control at any any stage, really, particularly in the first half. I guess it improved a little bit in the second half, or maybe they just kind of got worn out, worn down by the conditions as well. But there was no control. And at times, it felt like there was just no midfield there. If you kind of paused the game at any point and looked at where the players were, they were just gaping holes in, in midfield the entire time. Um, I think we shot ourselves in the foot with some kind of individual errors as well. You know, you look at the Ryan Hardy goal. What the hell is Porteous doing? Diving in to a change that he didn't need to dive into when we've just had a corner and they're breaking on us deep, deep in the Plymouth half. That then pulls Hoot across, who doesn't do particularly well either. Um, You know, that we mentioned the Morris one. Already, it, you know, it felt like a game that kind of played into the conditions in that respect. That it was it was so frenetic, but we just didn't at any point slow it down, calm it down, try and get a grip on it, and and that kind of uh, combined with those individual errors and a, a bad day at the office supporting us, I think, made us look as as susceptible as we did. And let's make no mistake, Ben Hayman made some some really decent saves um, to to help us to ensure that we got the draw ultimately yeah I, I, I think the defending was was chaotic you know um, you, you mentioned there with Porteous Tom I think that was again not to just get on to criticising Ryan Porteous now but I just what I will say positive for Porteous I'm going to give a positive and negative positive I think Stoke might have been his best game um, I think Stoke he was he was really solid I think the the, the man sent the, the sending off of Bayo forced a little bit more discipline from him he couldn't be expansive he had to be that con- more controlled version of himself which I think he just looks so much better he's, he's got the, the thing that's frustrating I think with, with Porteous it's frustration more than anything because he has some of the raw traits some of the ability to to really be a, a, a decent level defender and when he plays within that that role um, when he, he kind of has that control that discipline to, to, to make smart decisions to be a little bit more cautious I think he wants to be on the pitch and perform I think he, 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 get, he enjoys making those big challenges because he likes the reaction from the crowd he likes being involved and I think sometimes he can force that involvement a little bit too much um I'd love a little sprinkling of Craig Cathcart into to Ryan Porteous to just to kind of force him into to, to adding that element to his game. But you know, the, the example you give there, Tom, after the you know after on the counter there, he, he if he wants to apply pressure, then sure you can apply some pressure, cut out a passing lane, do what you have to do to allow your your team to get back into a defensive shape. To dive in there is just utterly reckless and it's it's dumb. Unfortunately, it's just a bad decision and you're punished by it. You're punished for it. You know the worst possible way they. they obviously go and score and it's just a, a real foolhardy decision to make and unfortunately if it's in isolation you know these things happen you make a mistake but it's time and time again and there was one before that I can't I'm struggling to think what, what player it was for Plymouth that had the shot but it was the, the one that knocked onto the post in the first half I think it was a nil-nil and they, they clipped the post quite early on and if you go back and watch the highlights you see you'll, you'll see Ryan Porteous just driving out of defence coming across the field for, for no reason we're in a, in a decent structured position he just comes flying out to try and make, get a get a pressure on the ball doesn't get there and kind of leave space open for a shot to hit the post it's very odd defending I'm not sure why um, Ismail is kind of allowing it to continue It would you would think it would be a droppable offence but seemingly it's not and he, he's still doing it so real Jekyll and Hyde in terms of the Stoke performance in this one for me in regards to Porteous but overall defense, defensive um, stretch shape and structure and kind of output from the team was, was troubling um, at times I think as I said the conditions weren't there but the second half I, I do think Jake Livermore stepped up and helped kind of steady things a little bit um, as well as some really good Ben Hamer saves yeah Ben Hamer was on fire wasn't he yeah, another good, us, yeah. another good game. Another good game, yeah. Yeah, I, you know, scribbled down the chances that they had, and you know, there's three or four. It's like I could say, you know, right at the end as well, or right towards the end. There's the um, the the volley that gets turned over uh, from was it Whitaker who volleyed it? You know, it was a, a pretty 
a case. I think if you're a Plymouth fan, we come on and go, bloody allowed, we've not won that, basically. That we that they actually peppered our goal at times. Mm. Um, and certainly after the equaliser for three all, it felt like if any team was going to win it, it was them. I don't think we created a huge amount of chances thereafter, which is not necessarily a criticism of us away from home, you know, blah, blah, blah. But um, yeah, they were good. What do you guys think about the, um, the Hardy goal? Some people were critical of Hamer on that one what did, what did we make of it which one do you, do you mean the near post one because uh, I did feel as yeah, though yeah so it goes in the top top corner it was hit with a lot of pace but if you if it goes past you in the near post you're always disappointed with yourself as a goalkeeper so maybe maybe he was beat twice at his near post actually from um, in two different goals I think mm. the first one goes across him doesn't it and then the other one so are we talking about are we talking about the third goal Yes, it is, isn't it? What do you think, Jordan? Yeah, no, I think. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's like it's not great. I think you would expect him. His his positioning is not great. You'd expect him. You'd expect Hardy to go across goal probably in that situation. But I think it's just confident on his left foot. Just hit us that straight kind of arrow into the top corner. So, oh, I don't know. I mean, I personally would have been disappointed if it if he'd overcommitted to the near post there and, and got done at the far post. So it's tough. You know, I I think given the situation, kind of the position of the shot, it is near post, but you would kind of, you would forgive him for thinking the most likely possibility was Hardy was like going to get a step ahead of Hoyt and slot across goal. Mm. Is that being too easy on Hamer there? I don't know. I felt like in the conditions as well, I think he did quite well overall really and. It's hard to criticise that one because it was just, I don't know, it was, it, like you say, it didn't go in the place where you thought it would. I didn't think it would go there. I think it was smart from Hardy more than anything, honestly. But Still, doing doing better than um, than Backman, clearly, and uh, deservedly still keeping that number one jersey at the minute. Um, and that actually leads us on to a question that we've had in, Tom, uh, directly related to Backman. Yeah, from friend of the pod, Nick Lansing, who's always sends in quite good questions at Toast Haiku on Twitter. Imagine you can read Daniel Backman's mind. What is he likely thinking after sitting for a month? Which I think is a good question. Yeah. What do we think? Hmm. He's probably thinking, I'm pleased I've got that five-year contract. (laughs) 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 Um, His age, he wants to be playing all the time, doesn't he? And he's... I don't know. I don't know if it's going to work out from at Watford. So I would be probably thinking, I'm not going anywhere in January, but I'm going to start to ask my agent to think about my future. But that five-year deal is going to actually hamper him, really, because teams probably aren't going to be willing to pay what Watford would require from someone that's on a five-year deal, right? Yeah, no, he's not going anywhere in that regard. I think... Look, for me, I, I, if what you hope, I think what the, what Isman is hoping is this is a, this is a learning situation for Backman right now. If you're if you're Dan Backman, you and you're if you're hoping that he's thinking, fuck, I need to I need to up my ideas here of what I'm how I'm going to approach this this kind of role at the club. You know, he's uh, the performance is one thing. You know, it's not it's not about perform. The reason he's dropped is not because of his performance. You know, he's not he's based he's been dropped based on his conduct as a captain as a as a starting goalkeeper. You know, I think the performance has not been good enough to to say he has to be thrown back in. So he can't rely on that. He he's expected more is expected of him as the club captain. I think the way he was sent off, the kind of the fact that he he hurt the team um, over multiple games with with that decision, and it, it kind of felt like it was coming for a while too. So you know, I think it's kind of really saying to him, you've got to grow up and you've got to to take this position. You know, you've got to respect and you've got to understand how much how much weight can be there, and and we need you having the pitch, not just as a captain, as a goalkeeper. You can't you can't be doing those sorts of things. So I think it's you know you have to realise that you're not undroppable regardless of your 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 role within the team and your contract length and so on. You have to earn that spot, and you have to also you have to earn it each week. And I think it's fair to say he hasn't. And you're seeing the flip side of that. Ben Hamer has now been doing so, um, and that is that is what football is. And what I will say to his credit, 
I'm not sure if you guys have, have seen the exact same stuff or not, but he does seem to be pretty active um, on the sideline during the game and also at the end of the game too. There's no kind of sulking walking down the tunnel. He does seem to have a genuine level of excitement and, and kind of integration within that squad post um, that final whistle being blown. So I don't think he's... I'm sure he's frustrated. I'm sure he, he wants to get back on the team. He probably feels confident that he will when he gets the opportunity. And I, I do quite strongly believe that we might see a, a better Dan Backman for it. Well, I, I'd agree with you in some respects there, Jordan, with regards to why he's not in the team currently. I think we all know the reason why he was dropped. But I think the reason, uh, which is because of the discipline, um, but I think the reason why he's not getting back in is because we've seen how well Hamer is playing and in some respects I think Hamer is proving to be a better overall keeper than Backman certainly in some areas where I thought Backman was quite weak for example claiming crosses and Backman's biggest strength was his shot stopping which I think Hamer's also proving to be pretty decent at so I don't know if I see Backman getting back in on based on performance it's a big call to drop your goalkeeper in any situation. It's an even bigger call to drop your goalkeeper when he's captain and he's just signed a five-year contract and the guy who's ostensibly number two was really only ever signed as a non-playing number three and through circumstances ended up as number two. I think, that, as we said at the time, it's a hell of a statement. So I think it's unlikely that Ismail is going to just one day arbitrarily say, oh, Batman can go back in now. He's, he's going to have to wait for that opportunity, I think, either via Hamer being suspended in injured unavailable whatever or you know playing his own playing himself out of form I don't I don't think it's a given that Batman comes back in I think Ishmael has shown if nothing else he picks players on merit so you know in, a, in that role it kind of takes two to tango it's not good it's not enough just to be playing well in training you've got to be playing well in training and hoping the other guy isn't or you know doing everything off the pitch and hoping the other guy isn't doing it on the pitch or you know isn't available to get on the pitch and yeah it's, it's kind of hamers to lose in that respect I think that's good for Backman overall though I think he needed that reality check of you know you're going to have 100%. to wait for this chance now and when he's there he's, he's going to feel the weight of, of um, importance on those performances because clearly he can't he can't let it drop especially now Hamer's become more of a known the pressure's going to be there much more so now because people also have seen that Hamer is capable of of performing at this level still and there'll be many that will be pushing for that switch if Backman was to come back in and, and have a few poor games then you know people now know what, the, what they've got on the bench waiting if that was to happen so okay cool let's move on to the next game then and we've got a bit of a uh, break in the league and we move on to the FA Cup and uh, here's a little question before you obviously we made the final in the 18-19 season but in the next four seasons what was the highest round that we made it to I'm going to say fourth that we only got through one round Jordan higher or lower yeah I think I think I, I, I if it's a higher or lower, I'm going to say higher. But I think I think Tom's correct. I'm afraid Tom's wrong. We haven't got past the third round. That would does not surprise me at all. <laughs> that does not surprise me one. So job. a defeat to Tranmere Rovers. Uh, that was yeah. in extra time. Then yeah. a defeat to Man United. A defeat yeah, to Leicester. That was, that, a defeat to Reading. Yeah. The Man United game being the Backman game, wasn't it? Where he came in and everyone thought, "Oh, hang on, this guy's quite handy." How times change. We only lost that one by 1-0, funnily enough. Did. Yeah, 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 that's right. That was the promotion season, wasn't it? Mm. And the Leicester game James Morris played in, was it in the snow up there and we lost a uh, very heavily rotated team and yeah, Tranmere, I, right. I, yeah. Tranmere I went to and that also was a Backman game and that was the game where he played and dropped one if not two clangers to let them back in it from 3-0 down and then we went to Tranmere in the replay, this was under Pearson wasn't it, and played a team with the, probably an average age of about 13 because we had more important league fish to fry pre-COVID mm. so Chesterfield though um, they're doing very well at the top of the National League uh, 10 points clear uh, last time I checked of anyone else below them Bromley I think are below them and Barnet are around there as well but yeah they're doing very well and a team like that coming into this one against I don't know an up and down Watford side they might they might grab something What do you, what do you think? Every possibility, you know. I think that why not? Um, yeah, I think this is a good opportunity for both teams. Honestly, uh, obviously, good good opportunity for them. But I think 
this is an opportunity for us to, to really start to establish kind of what we can do, you know, control the game a little bit more and, and work on that aspect of our play uh, and, and really just try to build some momentum because I think we're at a point where we need to kind of start or continue um, an upward trajectory and there's no reason why that couldn't be with, a, with an FA Cup title like this mm. Tom I suppose it probably comes down to uh, one question really and that question has come in from at he was rubbish and the question is how strong do we go uh, yeah I would probably go fairly weak for this one and rotate a bit um, we don't have the squad depth that we've had in recent years anyway but I do, I do think there is a necessity to rotate if you consider Bayo is suspended players like who Livermore Porteous have played pretty much every week Kayembe is now injured and off to AFCON anyway so I think you know that's kind of potentially five or six players there's not say do you throw Batman back in you know give him a chance mm. to get some get some minutes and you know get his eye in for a little bit losers probably someone that needs to play Semmer's injured um, yeah I would I would I would shake it shake it up and shake it all about and as someone who has a, a keen eye on the uh, on the National League Chesterfield are a really really good team you know it's gone under the radar a little bit in so far as you had two phenomenal teams last season in Wrexham and Notts County that got promoted out of that division. But they've only lost three times this season and they've only drawn twice. So they've dropped, what's that, 9, 10, 11. They've dropped 13 points all season and we're in January. They are superb and they're on a they're on a course. I think they could top the points total last season, which obviously got a lot of coverage. The battle between them. They've got some really good, experienced football league players in there that have done fantastic job in this season Will Grigg Tom Naylor who was in League One with Wigan last season uh, and then some other kind of younger guys that have come out of the Football League and really reinvented themselves down in, at National League level Ryan Colclough um, and Amanda Dobra really good wingers so you know they're a good team they kind of they can play different ways they've got an experienced manager in Paul Cook I think the only thing for them they're bringing a lot of fans down I know that I think they sold out their initial allocation didn't they and they've they've, they've got more the only thing for them is they obviously want to get promoted they've been in the National League for a long time now so it kind of a bit of a, a, a balancing act for them but as you say they've got that nice 10 point cushion or 11 point cushion whatever it is so yeah they're, they're not going to make it easy at all um, for us and I wouldn't be surprised if there was a bit of, bit of an upset there particularly if we do um, shuffle the pack you think the likes of Greaves will get an opportunity or will it be more of the guys on the fringes that are <sighs> yeah I don't know if he'll go that you know that full kind of Nigel Pearson Tranmere away where it was a genuinely a load of 17 and 18 years who never played in the football <laughs> league again yeah. but I think I think I think you will probably see, and Gaki is another one obviously sorry he's injured but I think you will probably see people like Sierra Alta uh, Tom Ince Imran Luza um, Tom Delibashiru Matty Pollock maybe even Reese Healy yeah. who you know been kind of in and out will play um, but you know it's a, it's a hard one because we do have a few kind of players that are injured a few players we probably want to protect a bit as well so yeah. <sighs> Ishmael's very hard manager to second guess in terms of his, his team selections, it's got to be said. He has been, hasn't he? Going into a January now where, barring this Chesterfield one, no home fixtures at all. That might be, I don't know, we, we've we've not been too bad on the road this season, have we? But, um, I mean, you always want to be playing against, in front of your home fans, though. So. Better on the road at the moment, so. Yes, yeah, so it was. I meant to check it, but we what, four wins away from home um, this season in the end? So... Certainly better than we've been at home lately. Yeah, true, true. Maybe, maybe it will benefit us then. Yeah, we're in a good patch away from home right now. We're starting to kind of gather the formula, formula a little bit. I think this this is for me why I'll be quite tempted to try and make the most out of this cup opportunity to to kind of look at us in a little bit more of a control situation, um, play with that pressure of being the team that's expected to to dominate and, and win, and see how we act. I'm curious. I think there's one thing I'll say about this season. There's been a, every single game. There's been something to learn about the team, and I think that kind of heads into this one too. And you know, we can we can take that. In into the, the future home fixtures coming up as well but as you say it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how we cope with purely away fixtures but um, I'm I'm not betting against them just yet I'm actually kind of feeling quite positive about that uh, okay then well I think that will just about do us for this one thanks very much for joining us once again I hope you had a really great Christmas and a New Year's Eve and it was just generally a, a good time off for you um, we'll be back after the Chesterfield we'll try and get something out for that one it'll be nice to talk about some 
some different players for a change. Um, and then the, 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 the season gets fully back on again and we, uh, we can look forward to some hard battles as we go into January and February and see if we can talk anything about uh, some transfers as well. We might make one or two, even if striker isn't one of them. But um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see who, who they think we, 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 might, we might bring in right back probably on a lot of people's wish lists at the moment as well, I, I imagine. Quite a few on there, I'd say, yeah. Yeah, okay, cool. All right then, guys, thanks very much. We'll, uh, we'll chat in a week's time or so. But until then, uh, we've been the What For Buzz. You can find us at all the usual places, at Twitter, at What For Pod. Um, at John Weimer at TB Bedell at Messi Messiano see you later guys bye bye goodbye Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.